0: Brother Doug, let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your mercy and your grace. Despite all the things that may have taken place in our individual lives this last week, we ask that you would help us to put them aside and to focus on Jesus Christ. As we look at the truth of Scripture this morning, I ask that the application that we seek to uh, find in both Matthew 18 as well as in Ephesians chapter 4 that it would encourage us in our hearts. I know that the, that the, the, the uh, fight that we have with our own, uh, within our own flesh with the forces of evil that they would seek to detract us from Jesus Christ. And I ask Lord that as we see these truths from scripture that you would help us to apply them each and every day. They're not easy. They're steps that we need to take that I believe are ones that require humility and leaning on you for strength, because we certainly cannot do it on our own strength. We're thankful again for those who are here this morning and for those who have yet to come. We ask that you would give them safety on the road. We thank you for the service yesterday and the homegoing memorial of Sister Paulita. Thank you for Brother Mickey sharing the gospel from John chapter 14. And I pray that those who were here, there were some who definitely did not know you as Lord and Savior, that you would uh, speak to them through the words and the passages of Scripture that were used, and that they might recognize their need of a Savior. We pray that the Holy Spirit would do his work of illumination and bring them To a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. All right, Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we kind of did a general overview of this passage last week, and I just wanted to give you a quick reminder of some of the points before we go on to Ephesians chapter 4. So, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and of course, they constantly argued back and forth with one another over who was the greatest. It's like they wanted to pat themselves on the back for, yes, I'm the greatest, I'm the best. Uh, James and John actually come and send their mother to Jesus and say, hey, can we be on one side and one on the other? And of course, the disciples are upset. They're probably upset, though, because they didn't send their mother to do the same job that James and John's mother went for. And so Jesus sits this little child down in their midst, and he says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not humbleness or humility like uh, the the standard joke is uh, when it it comes to, uh, you know, have you ever written a book? Yes, humility and how I obtained it. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a humility that only comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, for us to be humble, as we are going to see in Ephesians chapter 4, regarding the put-off, put-on principle, putting off the old man, putting on the new man, requires something that is outside of us. For example... When we talk about love, in the scripture there are different uh, forms of love that are used, different Greek words. There, of course, is phileo, which is a brotherly love. Um, You have the, or or that of a friend. Um, You also have agape love, which is, agape love is a self-sacrificial love that says that I am going to love Christ first, and then I'm going to love my neighbor as I love myself already. Now, the issue, though, that comes from the aspect of love, is that we live in a world that says, love yourself. Love yourself first. Take care of yourself. Do everything for you. The Bible doesn't speak of this, though. It speaks of being willing to lay aside, for example, as we could look at in Ephesians chapter 5, how does Paul address the church at Ephesus and tell them that the husband is to love his bride? How is he supposed to do that? This is where all the men are supposed to speak up here. As Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the church. That requires a sense of humility and being humble before God because, in and of our own self and our own nature, we are not willing to love that kind of way. And you can tell this, especially within within your own marriage, w- this is an area that, that's, that's a constant battle within marriages, and that is who's going to get their own way. If you stop and think about, uh, if you stop and think, and I've used this illustration before, it's not original with me, um, and I actually heard it from uh, uh, Jim Berg, who was the dean of students, many years ago, probably 25 years ago, and it stuck with me when you go on to the campus of Bob Jones University. Anybody here know Bob Jones University? All right. A few of you. Okay. So Bob Jones University is a very big liberal arts campus. It's, a, it's very much in the fundamentalist tradition. Uh, they have a pretty good mix both of, from a Presbyterian perspective as well as a Baptist perspective. And within he, what he was sharing was this they have a no smoking rule everywhere on the campus. And of course, if you want to smoke, it takes quite a while to be able to get off campus if you wanted to smoke. So you'd have to get in your car and you'd actually have to drive down this very long thoroughfare to be able to get off the campus and then you can smoke. And he says every now and then, because they've got an impressive uh, air filtration system, people would go into the bathroom and they would light their cigarette and try to take a few quick puffs Because it's a long ways to get off campus. And he said within a few seconds, he says everybody in the building knew that somebody was smoking in one of the bathrooms. And the person would come out and they would pretend like nothing had happened, nothing was going on. And everybody knew it except for them. Why didn't they know it? Because it filtered it in the bathroom and made it clean. Well, not just that. There's there's more than that. They couldn't smell it because they were used to it. That's the real issue. And, and what happens is, and he related this incident where he had a couple come in and they were struggling within their, within their house. They had a teenage boy and a teenage girl and there was a lot of rebellion that was going on. And he used that illustration. He said, you know what the problem is? He says, you're all smoking your own brand of flesh. You're just, gonna, you're just arguing over which one gets more importance in the house. That's really what it boils down to. And when we look at our lives, for example, when, when, when we do not defer to our wife or our wife doesn't defer to the husband, uh, what does that portray to the children? What does that portray to the grandchildren? So when Jesus is speaking and the reason that we're back here in church discipline or when we're talking about discipleship is because I believe these two things tie together. And so he speaks about the temptations to sin in verse seven, and he says, "Of course, you know the passage where if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, it's better to cut it off and throw it away. Or if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away." He is not talking about literally chopping your foot off or chopping your hand off or pulling your eyeball out." He's saying, "It is better if you did not have those things if those things caused you to go to hell." And then he speaks about the parable of the lost sheep. And we looked at this last week. This is not an evangelistic tool. This is not talking about the 90 and 9 who are saved and the one who is not saved. What he is referring to here is 100 sheep. Nowhere in the Bible will you find the authors of any one of the books speaking about a lost person as a sheep. They are always referred to as a goat or as an unbeliever. And so here in the 99, he is speaking about the one person who has been offended or who is offending. And we go out into the mountains and we search for that person. You see, too often within church discipline, church discipline is often used for the purposes of excommunication, which is not even a biblical term. Excommunication or excommunicado, to remove them, to cast them out, is not the purpose of discipline. Discipline is for the purpose of discipleship, and that is restoration, bringing fellowship back together with one another. And he says in verse 14, So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He's not just referring to the children here. He's referring to the one who has wandered away from the protection of the fold. Brother Tim and I were talking this morning just briefly, and we were talking about those who come to church. And, and it's, while the, the issue is not whether it's a sin for a person not to show up on a Sunday or not, the question is, what are you doing with Jesus Christ during the times that a person is not here? In other words, if, if you're spending time and you're reading your, you're reading the Bible and you're spending time praying and you're fellowshipping with other believers, that's wonderful. We don't forsake the assembling of the gathering together, though. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, why would we do those things? Why is church not important? And so then he speaks in the context of the local church. And we know that many of you, I'm sure, know the passage beginning in verse 15. He says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And the reason that this second step of discipline is necessary is because too often we do not practice the first step of discipline, which is self-discipline. That is a necessity for us. If we are going to live in harmony with one another... We need to make sure that we are taking care of the issues within our own heart first, but then he goes and we look through uh, what he was referring to here as uh, or, or in the section on church discipline. What happens? You go and you take or you go and you address the that, uh, the, the issue with that particular person if that doesn 't work, you take two or three witnesses with you, you go and deal with that, and eventually, if necessary, it comes before the church. And here's one of the things that we had started to touch on last week, and I wanted to address with you this morning. Again, he says, If two of you agree on earth about anything that they should ask, it will be done for them to my father by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I amongst them. Now, this is not a text verse to be able to prove that you and a couple of other guys out on the golf course on a Sunday morning, therefore Jesus is with you. That is not what he is talking about here. Yeah, exactly. So what he is referring to here is this. In the context of discipline, in other words, where there are two or three witnesses, where there is agreement on an offense that has been caused, Jesus Christ is there in their midst. Now, Again, this requires humility that only comes from Christ because one of the things that we don't like in our lives is being told what to do. Everybody nod your heads. We can all be like this at times, right? Yeah. For example, you go down the road and the, and the speed limit goes from 55 to 40. When do you slow down? Don't answer that. That's <laughs> When you see the officer. When you see the officer. We don't like being told what to do. Uh, here's another example. Like to told what to do by my wife. Oh, you do? Oh. Can you step out for a minute? We want to talk to Sister Blanca and ask, yeah. and make sure. We're gonna have an intervention. So here, here's what—that's what, uh, that's what I, actually what I was going to ask was: uh, husbands and wives don't look at each other, okay? <laughs> um, but you're going down the road and you miss your turn. And the wife says, I think you. And then you go look over and you give her the stare. <laughs> you don't know anything about that, do you? I don't know if I That's not her forte. That's not her forte. Okay. Or, 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 or you're going down the road and you're late for church. Or you're late to work. Or you're late to an appointment or whatever it may be. And before you know it, instead of having humility one with another, what ends up happening sometimes when we are not keeping our eyes focused on Jesus? Test of wills. Test of wills. Mm -hmm. Instead of saying, you know, you're right. We should have left earlier, I should have been prepared, better prepared, I should have, whatever it may be that is addressing the issue. And, you know, there are, here, here not too long ago, I'll just leave it at that, I was speaking with um, a couple in, uh, regarding a particular situation, and the woman said, her exact words were, I don't want to have to listen to him, I want my way. You know how long marriages last with that kind of attitude? Not very long. And the concern was that they were, and this person actually admitted, I know I'm selfish. And this is just the way it's going to be. And So my continued conversation was seeking to have them involved in reading the Word of God and spending time together praying. And I even asked both of these individuals and focused on the one. I I said, do you spend time reading the Word? And he says, I can't say that I've ever read the Bible. When the way of the world is more important than the way of God... You have to expect to pay the whirlwind somehow, somewhere. But in this passage, we find as Jesus goes on and he tells them, he says, Where two or three are gathered together, even when it is between a husband and wife, even when it is between parents and children, there is a responsibility that we have to make sure that we have not created offense. If we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, who is your closest neighbor? Wife, children, absolutely. And so he gives the parable of the unforgiving servant. And there was a passage that um, I was reading earlier this this or this last week. And in this particular passage, the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to Simon. Um, the one who owned the house and he's in his house and he's, they're complaining because this woman comes in and, and, and she's washing the feet of Jesus with her hair and with her tears. And, and so Jesus gives the illustration. He says, uh, how do you know when somebody has been forgiven a lot versus being forgiven a little? And he says, who's going to love him more? And Simon says, well, the one who has been forgiven more. This is essentially what we're looking at here. You have a man who has been, he he owes an impossible amount of money. Basically, a talent would have been been the equivalent of, he couldn't have done it in his lifetime. It would have required all of his family to be sold into slavery, to be able to pay this debt. And even then, using the 10,000 talents, Jesus is saying, in other words, this is an amount of money that none of them could even possibly have imagined. And the master forgives him. And so the man goes out and instead of forgiving somebody for what would have taken, if you look down in verse uh, in verse 28, when that same servant goes out who has been forgiven of 10,000 talents, he finds one of his fellow servants who owes him 100 denarii. Now that, is a, that was in those days the equivalent of 100 days work wages. So not an impossible task to be able to pay him. And he goes up to this person and instead of dealing with him correctly, he seizes him and he begins to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And the fellow servant, verse 29, fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. How many times though is that like us? Within our lives, within our Christian walk, we have been forgiven by so much, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we walk with a clean slate. We are clothed in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then somebody comes up and looks at us wrong, says something wrong, whatever it may be. And instead of forgiving them because we have been forgiven, we want to lay hands on them. Jesus says that the master called the servant and he says, you wicked servant in verse 32, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant? So also in verse 35, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. First John makes it very clear that if we do not have the love of Jesus Christ, or that we do not have the love of Jesus Christ within us, if we do not have love for the brethren. If we find that our sin is we have more of a love for our sin than we do of a love for God. If we do not love His Word, there are several tests that are found within the Book of First John, and I believe that one of them is this: Do we or are we willing to forgive? You know, we have been in some churches in, in 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 the past, down through almost thirty years worth of ministry now, and there are people, and they'll come, and some will sit on this side, not literally here, okay. But some will sit on this side and some will sit on this side and they will never meet in the middle because while well, they offended me, they have no clue what they were even offended about. Because the offense has been going on for so long, they would rather live in the bitterness and the anger and being upset than they would in saying, because Jesus Christ forgave me, I forgive you. And sometimes it's a matter of going to that individual and saying, you know, there's there's some kind of a strained relationship here, and I'm not sure if it's something that I have done or that, that you have done. I can tell you that from my heart. Brother Doug and I are talking, and I say, Brother Doug, you know, there's nothing in my heart against you, but have I offended you in some way, that requires, going back to that word, humility, humbleness. and And so he says, well, yes, there is. I've been meaning to come and talk to you about it. And, oh, by the way, I want you to know that I got with Sam and I talked with him and I've just been complaining about you behind your back. Now, you know what is required now of his part is to explain to me what the issue is or the offense that I have caused. My responsibility is then to take care of that. But now he also has an issue to deal with, doesn't he? If he's going to do this biblically... He's going to have to go to Sam, and he's going to have to seek forgiveness because he has extended that offense beyond the original offense. Now, go to Ephesians chapter 4. How do we apply this in our life? There are a few things here that I want to point out. Paul is speaking to the church at Ephesus beginning at verse 17. And he tells them, you are not to walk any longer as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Paul has a great way of always going back to the mind, doesn't he? Romans chapter 12. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not, what? Conformed, to this world, but be ye what? Transformed Transformed by your emotions, by the renewing of your mind. This is the same phrase here. In the futility of their minds, he says they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous. They have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. In other words, Christ should be in you to the point where you have changed. You treat one another differently. And here is the practical implications that he gives him. He says, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, verse 22, to put off what? What does it say? Your old self. Now, I don't think it takes too much effort on anybody's part here to think back about what life was like before you and I came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe there are times, and, and as we are continuing to grow in our faith, we should, becoming, we should be becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ today than we were yesterday and striving to become more like Him tomorrow than we are today. But he says here, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. To be renewed in the spirit, again, what does he say? In the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So let's talk about this for just a moment. Put off. Put on. Some of you may have already been reading ahead and you will see some of the things that you put off and you put on. But he says, and let's continue here in verse 23 and 24, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and again to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. So here are some of the things that Paul is talking about here. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away... falsehood. So somebody is dealing with the issue of lying or their uh, lack of honesty and integrity in the way that they are dealing with somebody, it could be in business, it could be in the family life, it could be in whatever it may be, if we're putting off lies, what should we be putting on? What's the converse of that? Truth. Is Is there an absolute when it comes to truth? Yes. Okay. What is that absolute truth? God's truth. God's truth. Truth did not evolve. Truth is something that is given from God. We have to understand that there are absolutes, there are moral absolutes, there are moral truths that that come. For example, when we talk about the, the, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments were not given again as we have spoken before. The Ten Commandments were not given for the purpose of trying to bring Israel closer to God. The purpose of the Ten Commandments were given to show Israel how far they were separated from the holiness of God. So he says, put away falsehood, number one, on the opposite side. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Now, husbands and wives, your spouse, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, is not just your spouse. Your spouse is also your brother or sister in Christ. Which means that the relationship that you and I have with the Lord Jesus Christ should supersede all other relationships. That means that if we... He, he, let's, put it, let's put it this way and try to be as blunt as we can. You and I have a responsibility to treat our spouse just as we would treat other brothers and sisters in the congregation. That's hard to do. Because the people who live in the house with us see what? Oh, everything. The bad, the good. Bad, good, ugly, indifferent. Ugly. <laughs> exactly. They, they, see, they see everything. So what ends up happening when the wife turns and says something to the husband and if the husband, my wife and I are having a discussion and she says something to me and instead of taking it as being a message from the Lord as a reminder maybe of something that I haven't done or that I should be doing, I can actually take offense at that and what ends up happening then? Well, if I'm getting upset, I'm actually getting upset at a daughter of the king. Yes. I'm losing self-control. I'm not showing forth, as Brother Sam talked about for a number of lessons, when we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And the first thing that we want to do is, well, you said, well, you did, and that's not putting off the old man. Putting off the old man say, it should be saying, if God gave us to one another as a husband and wife, the responsibility that we each should have is, for example, in Ephesians chapter 5, we find that the wife is to be in submission. And all the men say, yay, praise the Lord, preach it. No, 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 no wait a minute. Wait a minute. We, the wife is to be in submission to her husband as unto the Lord. The submission, if the submission is not there unto the Lord, there will never be an acceptance or an understanding of how we are to have a biblical household when the wife is to be in submission to her husband as unto the Lord, the children then unto the parents. But part of the problem then comes because the husband is not willing to stand up and be the man that he needs to be that God has called him to be within his family. Because if he is going to put off the old man and put on the new, that means that he has to be willing to put off also the lies. He has to be willing to put on the truth. Look at some of the other things here that he says. Anger. I'm sure nobody here has ever been angry. Today? <laughs> in the last five minutes what is the opposite of being angry what would be a, a characteristic or an attribute that you and I should have in our life that is opposite of being angry peace okay, peace gentleness kindness Essentially, what are we talking about here? The fruit of the Spirit. So to be able to put off the old man, putting off the old things that normally were to, or the things that normally dictate our lives, we are to put on that which reflects Jesus Christ. For example, if the wife or the kids remind you hey, we didn't have our devotions today. Now, we can either respond in a way that's like, well, I was getting to it. Or we can say something that we snap or make some kind of a negative comment. And what does that end up doing? We then sit down with the children. We sit down with the wife. or We have a word of prayer or whatever it may be. However, you have your devotions within your family. And hopefully you do. But we've already tainted that. And essentially what we've done is we've caused an offense between one another. And to the Lord. Lord. Brother Jim? Mark on the anger, it says be be angry and do not sin. So Mm -hmm. I've always thought that's talking about a a way to ask yourself, am I angry because this offends God? Am Am I angry because this offends me? Yes. Well, John chapter 8 makes it clear that we have that we should judge, but we should judge according to righteous judgment. Right. And when we are for example, there were times that the Lord Jesus Christ was angry, but he didn't sin in his anger. And and again, I believe you're right in that we can have, we can be angry. For example, we've talked about it here and we have talked about Uh, For example, the fact that almost 70 million babies have been murdered in America since 1973. We should be angry at that. But where we need to be careful is what is it that we are angry at? Because ultimately we are not the judge. If we are angry at the sin that the person is doing, do we still seek to love that woman or that mother who has gone and taken the life of her child? It, it, we are. We are, called to, we are called to seek to love them to Jesus Christ. If, if somebody comes in and we, we, ha, we have two men that walk in and they're holding hands when they walk in, or two women and they walk in, it, do we respond with negative comments? Do we respond with with, with with derogatory terminology to speak about them? Or do we seek to tell them the truth about what God's word has to say and that you can be forgiven of your sin? You see, we have a right to be angry when somebody seeks to introduce things that are going to be soul-destroying or seek to destroy our families. For example, if, our kids are, if your kids are in school or in a public school system, I don't believe that it is the optimal. I believe that, that, that we have a responsibility to train our children at home. We have been given that task and that responsibility. But what happens when our kids are in that situation? What do we do? How do we handle it? How do we teach them? So yes, we can be angry, but when we're talking about anger here, I should have clarified, we're talking about an unrighteous anger. We're talking about an anger where, where you miss a turn or you miss something that's going on in your life and somebody calls you down and instead of taking it with humility, you then get angry about it. What does he say at the next part of that? Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Now this doesn't mean husbands and wives that you stay up all night so the sun doesn't go down on your wrath. What does this mean? This means that we are not to keep or that we should keep a short account. This is what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 18 when he says, How many times should I forgive him? Peter says seven. Jesus says no, seventy times seven. He's not telling Peter or us to count 490 offenses before we deck our spouse. It's not, the magic number is not 491. The magic number is one. In other words, forgive each offense as though it is the first time that you have been offended. Let the thief, in verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, do an honest work with his hands. Again, simple, practical applications that Paul is speaking about here. But look at verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear So, let's put down here bad talking. Here's what we should be asking ourselves. Is what I am getting ready to say edifying? Is what I'm getting ready to say building up my spouse, building up my children, building up my grandchildren? Because if it is not building them up, if it is not seeking to make them more like the Lord Jesus Christ, this is why, parents, we should be so careful in the way that we address our children because children can be hurt so easily by making comments or negative comments to them in a way that does not reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we were raised in our home, for example... My parents, I cannot ever remember in my life, and I'm the oldest of six, I cannot ever remember my parents, either one of them, ever telling me that I was stupid. Now, were there times that I was stupid? Yes. There were times that I was very foolish. There were times that I did not pay attention to the rules that were given because I was more concerned about pleasing Mark than I was in having a relationship with my mom and dad. And there are times that you and I can be foolish and we could be stupid or ignorant, as it were, when it comes to the things of God because we don't listen to what God has to say to us. We don't seek to apply those things to our lives. And instead, what we end up doing, coming down here again in verse 29, we let corrupt talk come out of our mouths. Now... That does not mean that we do not correct our children. It doesn't mean that sometimes that you and I, as, 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 as in your family, between husband and wife, that there are times when, when something needs to be said or something needs to be done. The question, though, should be, between whether it's from husband to wife or wife to husband, is am I saying... Here's an example. You are going at it, cats and dogs and then the phone rings hello oh yes we're doing fine we're doing wonderful shit oh yes yeah now we've all been there i'm sure but here's what we have to realize you see, when we, have, when we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, sometimes we forget that because our spouse or our children, if they're believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are also brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes we end up filling their heads with the things of the world and the things of the flesh instead of pleasing God and how we speak to them. We've talked about forgiveness, and forgiveness is not easy because as we look back at Matthew chapter 18, when somebody has offended us, we want to be able to bear that burden, and the truth is that most people don't even think about the offense that was caused. Some people don't even know there was an offense that was caused. how do you respond how how do i respond to those who are around me and 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 again it's not just it's not just a matter of of if 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 doug were to walk through the the door of my house or or sam or brother tim or whoever and you were to walk into my house how do i respond to my family how do i respond to my children how do i respond to one another it should be no different whether you're here or not because more importantly god is here And the problem is that we don't often see it that way. Only speak that which is good for building up. Does my speech, does my conversation build up my children to become more like Jesus Christ? Does my speech, does my behavior edify Jesus? Does it it show forth that I'm seeking to put off the old man and put on the new Such is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give excuse me that it may give grace to those who hear, have I blessed those who I just talked to I even have to and i 'm going to throw this out there for you. I even have to be careful i 've tried to curtail uh, some of the things that I have said in the past on different. Uh, medium formats like Facebook and things like that, I believe that we can speak the truth about things that are going on, but do we speak those things in truth in love as I believe it was Spurgeon who said uh, it may not have been Spurgeon, so one of you may be able to remind me, but he said that let them if they are going to go to hell, let them go over to hell or go to hell crawling over us while we are hanging onto their feet and legs so that they don't go there quickly. That's essentially the, the thought. In other words, if somebody is going to go to hell, they should do so with us still seeking to love them and point them to Jesus Christ. What does he say in verse 30? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. So your spouse, your children, anybody that you work with or that go, you go to church with, if you are both believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were sealed by the same Holy Spirit that you were. If you're a believer, that means that your response to them should be that I am speaking to somebody who is just as indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God as what I am. If you were to look around, do you know the reason why we have in many places around, around the U.S. in particular, you've got a gajillion churches. Not Maybe not a gajillion, but it would be pretty close. And you know what often happens down through the years is, First Baptist Church, people get upset and they go and they split and they go start Victory Baptist Church because we got the victory. And then they'll go and they'll start... Another church, the New Testament Baptist Church, because, well, we're more New Testament than that church was. And the reason I believe that for most of these things, you know, I have never, ever, ever, maybe somebody here has, if you have, you can tell me about it, but I have never seen a church that has split over biblical doctrine. I've seen churches split over the color of a carpet or the hymn book they're going to use, or the Bible version they're going to use. I've seen them split over all kinds of things, but never over biblical doctrine. And we have to look at ourselves then and say, what does the world see in us? That's a tough question to ask. But if we are striving to live in a way that we are not grieving the Holy Spirit of God, after all, He is the one who sealed us. He is the one who is keeping us. Listen to Philippians chapter 1, just two chapters over. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus Christ. So look what he concludes with in this chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. We don't have time to break all of this down. But essentially, you have to ask yourself, all of the things that you say, does it fit into this category? If it does, it should be put away from you. It should be put away from me. Why? Here's the opposite side. Verse 32. Be what? Kind to one another. What's the next word? Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So if what we are talking about is the, 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 the communication level that we have with one another, regardless of what the relationship is, If we are striving to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that the first thing that should be on my mind, if somebody comes and they have offended me or there's an offense that has been caused, is to do what? Forgive them. To be kind. To be tender-hearted. Because Christ forgave us, so too we ought to forgive one another. I can remember I can remember being in one church years ago and started about the start of my ministry and we were in a church and there were the these two little old ladies, they were sisters. And almost without exception, every time we had a business meeting They would bring something up that happened 15, 20 years ago. And that was where they lived, was in the past. And instead of being loving and gracious to one another, they had gotten to the point where it was almost like a bully pulpit for them. It it, it had gotten this bad where we went, my wife and I, on our own, went out and purchased some fans for the church three little fans that were on sale that we paid the equivalent of about $40 for. Didn't ask for reimbursement, just paid $40 for the fans, brought them in. And that's all we heard about for the next six months. If I went out and bought toilet paper without the church voting on it first, I heard about it. (laughs) And it wasn't that I just heard about it and it was like, well, this is just a reminder. This is the way we do things. This is what needs to be done. It, was, it had gotten to the point where it was visible anger. People being upset over things that don't matter in the light of eternity. And, and going through, and, and I remember we were in the first part of Ephesians, actually, in this particular church. And I was going through verse by verse And one of the deacons, after we had gone through, oh, only about five or six months, came up and said, I don't understand why we still have to keep going verse by verse through this book. I said, because this is where God wants me to be, number one. And secondly, the things that I am teaching, maybe these are the things that we need to learn. And his comment was, are you saying that we are sinners (laughs) You think? From a deacon. And I said, listen, we are called to change. And the reason why we are in the mess that we are in today here in this church is because some of these things have been laid aside for that which is not important. Two of the deacons ended up leaving about three or four months after that. And both of these men got in trouble for sexual relationships with girls under 18. You see, when we are not striving to have a life of holiness, it will eventually reflect in your life somewhere. That's exactly what happened. But to be kind, to put aside the bitterness, to put aside wrath, to put aside anger and clamor and slander. And again, the question we need to ask ourselves is, in the light of eternity, does that really matter? That thing that we're getting upset about. Because if those things do not matter in the light of eternity and we are allowing ourselves to remain angry or bitter or, or, or as we looked at earlier, to, to, to put away the lies, to speak that which is truth, don't give an opportunity to the devil. If we are not doing those things, then we are not forgiving as Christ forgave us. So again, we ask ourselves, are we being kind? Are we being tender-hearted? Are we forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you? Because whatever it is that I have done or that you have done, it will never be to the level of what you and I did against Jesus Christ. Ever. Whatever you and I have been forgiven of by the Lord Jesus Christ should give us an, the, 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 the impetus, if you will, the desire, the heartfelt desire to be willing to lay aside these things. And as somebody, has, somebody wrote years ago, I picked up on this quote, there is no offense that is given if none is taken. And sometimes we need to live that way where we are not simply taking offense at every little thing that happens. Are you putting off the old man? Do you, does your life reflect? And here's the way that I have, often put, I have often put this. However long, think about it, however long you have been a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ or if your faith is in Jesus Christ alone, ask yourself this question. Do I look more like Jesus today than I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, however long it is since you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't look more like Jesus now than you did then, then the Bible says that it is time for you to do a checkup, a spiritual checkup. Once you do that, then I have often recommend, I've very rarely seen it happen, but I often recommend that you then go to another brother or sister in Christ and say, do I reflect Jesus Christ to you or do I reflect myself? How do others see me? How do you see me? Because if if we are representing the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that means it's not just to the outside world. For example, we have the Lord's table, the elements that are up here this morning. And when we pass those out, what we are saying, when that goes to each from person to person, and it goes all around the congregation and we take them together, what we are saying is this. We do not have something against another brother or sister. We are saying, Christ forgave me and so I forgive you. Maybe there are times when we could use seeing revival within our midst by people being willing to come up and say, I've held a grudge against you, I have bitterness against you, I have anger against you in my heart about something that really doesn't matter in the light of eternity. We need to change these things if we're going to see Jesus Christ do a work in our hearts. Are you tender-hearted this morning? How much have you been forgiven? How much have I been forgiven? And if we're going to be honest, you and I have actually been forgiven of a greater debt than 10,000 talents. A debt far greater than what you and I could possibly hope to pay. And we're really cons- going to be concerned about the 100 pennies that we owe to somebody else. Or that somebody, we think somebody owes to us. You see, we live in a society today where everybody thinks that they have rights. And when your, right, your rights exceed the needs of other people, you are following the world, not following God. Because here's the, tr- here's the, the, the real crux of the matter. The only right that you and I have as true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is to forgive as we have been forgiven. And to do that, going back to what we said at the very beginning of the lesson, requires humility. It requires humbleness, something that is far beyond what you and I can work up. We, we can't sit there in our chair and go, er, more humility, er, more peace. Er, I'll be more gentle today no it doesn't work that way the Holy Spirit comes and if he is indwelling your heart and your life he is changing you daily parents I'll conclude with this there are times that I have down through my own life not as much as I should have but I've asked my own children do you see Jesus in me Is there something that I need to make right with you? Is there something that I have not sought forgiveness for in the way that I have handled things or I have done this or I have done that or I have maybe spoken out of turn or I have spoken in anger or spoken with a hot head? You see, if they are my brother and sister in Christ as well, I need to know whether I'm pointing them to Jesus Christ. The last thing that I would want to do would be to get to heaven and find out that my family did not follow me there because I gave forth a bad testimony. That'd be a horrible thing to see. Does Jesus live in you? He is the light and he shines through us. Is he shining through you this morning? Let's pray. Father, the put off, put on principle is not an easy one to follow. We seem to be so content in our sin many times. We are so content to live in the past. Or to live in a way that says, I'm not going to forgive somebody else for what they have done or a perceived slight or indifference or offense, whatever it may be. and We so easily forget that we have been forgiven for so much by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven of all our sin. As Matthew 18 says, So will our Father do if we do not forgive those who are our brothers and sisters. I pray that what we have shared this morning and last week from Matthew eighteen will be an encouragement and an exhortation to be building us up in our most holy faith. As we go into the next hour of worship, I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified, that hearts would be and lives would be changed to reflect the Savior. We ask this in Jesus' precious name and all God's people said. Mm